Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. All right, well, welcome. And I have the pleasure today of talking with Sherry Bernhaber. Hello, Sherry, how are you? Hey, Joe, I'm doing really well, thanks. It's, I'm uh, so glad to uh, have you uh, in this conversation. We, we've met uh, in person uh, before, but it's uh, you know, good to have a chance to talk to you uh, in this uh, online format. Um, where are you talking to us from? I live at the top of Cable Mountain, uh, which is the post office calls it Cupertino. But if you asked anybody who worked at Apple, they wouldn't know that we existed. Uh, so uh, just just outside of Silicon Valley on the mountain that makes Silicon Valley a valley. And uh, has that been a place that you've uh, been for, for a long time? I've been here for uh, since 1993 was when I moved back here from Canada. So I'm originally from uh, the province of New, New Brunswick in northeastern Canada, the main side of Canada. Uh, I've always I've always wanted to visit that that area, just tour around and uh, check out some of the natural beauty of that area. It's a great place in the summer. Uh, the lobster capital of the world. So hopefully you're not uh, kosher or allergic to shellfish, because that would just be sad. <laughs> well, well. Uh, yeah, you know, there are a few, you know, I want to kind of cover different parts of, uh, you know, where you got to where you're at today. But like, why don't we kind of start at the at that today part? Uh, you know, what are you involved in right now? Uh, so I've got my fingers in a number of different pies right now. Uh, I am an accessibility architect at VMware. I've been with VMware for going on three years now. I founded the accessibility program uh, and then it grew big enough that one person couldn't run it anymore. So I had to choose which piece of the baby I wanted. I could either run the remediation programs and have all the people reporting to me, or I could go into innovation and outreach was what they were calling it at the time and be a, a senior individual contributor at the architect level. And I had just won the Pitchathon, which is an internal contest. And my idea was to build better accessibility testing tools using machine learning. And I was really excited about that concept because accessibility testing is notoriously bad for automation. And I thought that I could make a difference. And so I decided to pick the architect side of things. We rolled out our tool, which is called Crest, uh, about two months ago. And uh, we're, we're looking at, so when we started uh, a year ago, uh, it was about a 30-70 split. So 30% of accessibility could be tested in an automated manner, but 70% is manual. We've got it to 34-66 in our proof of concept. So we took five things that could not be tested manually, or, sorry, could not be tested in an automated manner previously, and we automated them with a very high level of reliability using machine learning. And we think we can get that to 50-50 in the next 12 months. Uh, and it's open source, so just go to GitHub and look for VMware Crest, and you'll be able to find it. Well, yeah, and that's something I'll uh, definitely put a, a link into and in, in the notes associated with this. And uh, 
I know you're involved with a lot of other things uh, right now as well, and we, you know, we can come around to that. But I, I was thinking now maybe kind of kind of push back into the past, and I yeah, I, I think we all have uh, you know different reasons and and situations that have brought us into the accessibility area, but um, kind of. Well, kind of where where did you start with your career and, and how did it sort of move to where you're at today? So definitely been a long and windy path. Uh, I am a wheelchair user. I have a congenital um, orthopedic issue and uh, people just automatically assume when they see me in my wheelchair and they hear me talking about accessibility that, oh yeah, that's your connection. Um, I didn't actually get into accessibility because of that. I got into accessibility because my middle daughter is deaf. And uh, I happened to have a computer science degree and was a lawyer um, at the time that we discovered that she was uh, lose, she had a progressive uh, form of hearing loss. Um, and so I went into advocacy for the deaf at first, um, suing insurance companies and school districts for refusing to cover things that deaf children need to be successful. And um, won a class action lawsuit against Blue Cross, kind of put myself out of business. Once once you win against Blue Cross, everybody just basically gives in. They realize that there's no point in continuing to fight. And I thought, well, let me see. I've got this computer science degree. I've got this law degree. What can I do with this? And that was just about the time uh, that accessibility was really starting to take off. So that, that was about uh, nine years ago. And I've been well, yeah, doing I mean, that solid yeah. ever since. Yeah, just to, you know, to stop there for a minute, um, I mean, you have this situation with your child, you know, it's certainly that that's a motivator. Um, it is kind of a, a much bigger step for a lot of people to, you know, to take it to the point where you're, you know, going into, uh, you know, legal battles and, you know, being a, you know, an upfront advocate um, with was that just something you were always comfortable with or did it all kind of stem from this and you realized that was it was just something that you, you had a, an affinity to be able to take things that way? So anybody under the age of probably, let's say, 35, 36 doesn't remember life before the Americans with Disabilities Act. No, I do. I was the eighth grader who didn't get to go on the graduation trip because Yosemite wasn't accessible and they couldn't take a wheelchair on the school bus. Um, you know, I was the kid who couldn't take a you know, British literature class because it was upstairs and I was at a high school with no uh, elevator. So my parents always did a really good job advocating for me. Uh, there was no uh, lowered expectations. Uh, it was always expected that I would go to college. It, would, it was always expected that I was going to do everything that everybody else did. And uh, so I think I got a lot of it from them. But, uh, you know, I had the good fortune. My family moved uh, here from Canada when I was eight. And um, you know, I was the first Girl Scout to get a badge in computer science. So, you know, I've always been around computers. I've always been around tech. I went to the same, Steve Wozniak taught me how to solder. Uh, in the computer club that we belong to together uh, many years ago. So it's always been great for me to have an activity where despite my disabilities, I could still be on an equal playing field with everybody else. And that's, that's what tech means to me. And then, so was it uh, that you're, um, how, how, did, how would, was your career moving along? Like in what areas and was that going on at the same time that you were, 
focused on uh, getting equitable uh, uh, service for your child? Yeah, so for the first 10 years after I went to Cal, I did uh, primarily just generic software testing. Um, taking apart the vacuum cleaner and figuring out how it worked, that, that was the kind of kid I was. And so I, I bring that with me uh, into accessibility because I think to a certain extent, accessibility is just a specialized form of QA. I mean, we all have our reasons for being in it. But at, at an abstract level, it's regulatory compliance. It's not that much different from, you know, security or privacy or any of the other laws that you have to test and make sure that you're compliant with. You know, yes, you want it to be usable. Yes, there's a really good reason, you know, that you don't want to exclude people with disabilities. Um, but a lot of the principles that we've learned over the years in QA, like trying to shift the bug discovery earlier in the process, that also works very well for accessibility. And so that's something that I've really been focused on the last couple of years at VMware as we've made this massive migration from doing monolithic large software releases, maybe two or three a year, you know, like one major and a couple of minors to releasing, you know, sometimes a couple of hundred times a week. And 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 where was where was the point where the uh, the technical uh part of your career started to uh, move into actively being uh, involved in accessibility as, as part of that career? Yeah, so I did software testing. Then I decided to go to law school. It was, part, it was my last year of law school that we discovered that my daughter had a progressive hearing loss. So I did advocacy for the deaf for about eight years and then went into accessibility after that. Um, so I'm kind of on my third career at this point, but I'm planning on sticking around in this one for a while. Well, I, I, it would I, it was interesting the way that you mentioned about kind of the world before uh, uh, the uh, ADA legislation that you know initially changed things so dramatically. But then it was still a long time before uh, digital products and services uh, became supported by by legal issues and so on. I, I imagine that that was something that uh, that may have affected uh, your daughter's ability to consume things and, it, and possibly your own as well. That is true. So the ADA is going to be 31 in a couple of months. And 15 years ago was when the target case was decided. So that was the first big accessibility case that actually went through to a written court decision. So yeah, it took about 15 years before the first digital accessibility case was decided. And um, in their infinite wisdom, the government decided not to adopt WCAG 2.0 into the Americans with Disabilities Act. So the Americans with Disabilities Act is actually written to be a very open, updatable document. The, inter the internet didn't exist when the ADA was passed, yet courts have decided that the, that the ADA does apply to technology, does apply to the internet, isn't necessarily limited just to just places and stores that people go to. And this has been really important during the pandemic because, you know, think about the situation of somebody who's blind. You know, you're bubbling at your house. You're not supposed to be interacting with other people. If you go to a store, you need help. You can't read the soup can signs or, you know, see which bananas are green and which bananas aren't. So you want to go and order online, but if it's not accessible, you can't do that either. Um, so, so people with 
disabilities really uh, have struggled during the pandemic uh, from that perspective. And 97.4% of the web is still inaccessible to them. It's, it's a really depressingly high figure. Well, and, 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 you know, you've lived that with yourself and your, your daughter, um, but um, having such uh, where where you have a kind of a long view so far of 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 how things have progressed. Um, it to me, I, I kind of interested in, in knowing, like, how far do you feel we've really come because now you're actively involved in accessibility, I think, to some extent. Um, we have a greater awareness of it in the in the in professional circles and in the technical areas. But sometimes I, you know, I look, I started to get involved in it around 1998, 1999, doing some work with the the W3C when they were first com coming out with the Web Accessibility Initiative. And in some ways, I feel like there's been like really dramatically interesting, valuable things, and then on a day-to-day -day basis, sometimes I get frustrated and I'm like, it never seems like, like we're really moving the needle that much. So I'm interested in kind of how your perceptions of, of that evolution. Uh, you know, I kind of feel the same way sometimes, you know, there are days where you feel like you're smacking your head against the brick wall and, and stuff never moves as quickly as you want it to. Um, I think one thing I find over and over is that we as a society tend to be somewhat ethically challenged in that technology always evolves faster than the ethics behind using that technology. Um, and I think until we solve that root problem, uh, things like accessibility are always gonna be playing catch up because the technology just moves so quickly and the standards and the ethics behind how to use it don't keep up. You know, we have AI, right? Are we using our AI in an ethical manner? Are we making sure that people of color and women and people with disabilities, that there's no bias in the coding, that there's no bias in the data sets? Heck no. Uh, you know, we see that all the time, but you know, we're, that doesn't stop us from moving on to the next evolution of AI. So, you know, sometimes the regulations take care of that, sometimes they don't, but the nice thing about the ADA is you don't have to go back to Congress to get it to change. You know, the ADA was written so that when new things are adopted through the technical account, uh, technical access manuals, they automatically get incorporated to the law, into the law. So it is an easier process to update it. So things today, like uh, hotel swimming pools and movie theater accessibility, which was really never contemplated when uh, the ADA was originally passed 30 years ago, those are now part of it. Well, I, um, I mean, you're, you're actively involved in accessibility on a regular basis and have for, for many years now. You've, all, you've had the opportunity to, you know, work at uh, some you know, fairly large organizations and, and be involved in accessibility. Um, are there any things you can talk about uh, with respect to your experiences there and kind of, you know, how that moved your career forward? So I think I've determined over the years that the number one factor in determining whether or not an accessibility program is going to be successful is the presence of an employee resource group dedicated to disability. When you don't have that, it's a much bigger struggle. And you know, people think of those two things and they, they're like, well, wow, how are those connected? No matter how big your accessibility program is, 
you're never going to have an accessibility person in the room all the time when the decisions are being made. But if you have enough employees with disabilities in the room and they're willing to talk about it because they feel psychologically safe to discuss their hidden disabilities or to discuss a relative with a disability or a child with a disability, then the right decisions get made because it's being discussed even when a member of the accessibility team isn't in the room. Uh, so that was something uh, that I was really happy to be able to start at VMware. And we just held a psychological safety event yesterday. It was our kickoff to Pride Month. Uh, so we did it in conjunction between the Women's Employee Resource Group, the Pride Employee Resource Group, and the Disability Employee Resource Group. And we had 600 people attend. Wow. Yeah, that's that's really amazing. And and so um, how do you know what type of uh, if, if we look at at your current situation, VMware, uh, kind of what's the overall uh, corporate philosophy around supporting accessibility, uh, you know, both uh, internally for your employees as well as the things that you're doing with the products and services that uh, that you produce? So VMware has always been committed to making sure that people with disabilities could, can use our products. We've, uh, we tend to grow by acquisition, which has presented a sort of a unique challenge uh, in that we've acquired, I think, 18 companies in the three years that I've worked for VMware. Uh, so that means you're you're getting, you know, every few months you're getting handed a whole new suite of products and maybe they're accessible and maybe they're not. But we've gone from 92 products uh, to 140 products uh, in the three years uh, that I've been there. So that's, that's been an interesting challenge. Uh, we just recently passed uh, an equal uh, internal accessibility policy. So our, our employee-facing policy is now identical to our uh, customer-facing policy. And we're going through our tools and, uh, you know, prioritizing the ones that everybody uses first. And many of our vendors who may be listening to me to this call going, oh, yeah, we know Sherry, uh, because I, I, you know, meet with several of them frequently uh, to get them on the right path to accessibility. And it's one of the great things about working for VMware, um, because we believe in using our leverage, you know, to create a better environment for everybody. So we're not asking Slack or Atlassian or any of the companies that we work it with to fix it just for us. We're trying to get them to fix it for everybody, and we're willing to help them on our dime, the VMware, you know, dime to do that. You work uh, in VMware is such a large organization, probably so many different uh, departments and, and so many projects going on at any given time. Um, how do you, how are things organized to support accessibility? Is, is there sort of a, a central uh, group that, that assists with uh, supporting that or are individual departments, uh, do they have their own people that that become advocates in those areas? So if you look at any of the six accessibility maturity models that exist out there in the world, you can never get past the middle tier without having a centralized accessibility system and a centralized accessibility budget. When you allow each business unit or each department or each product to handle accessibility differently, that's where you get into inconsistencies. And 
and that's where you get into okay this this department is financially challenged so they're just going to do the minimum to get by on accessibility where that department uh maybe the department uh had has a child with a disability and so he's really committed to doing it right or she's really committed to doing it right so um the the whole mindset behind the way we do it at VMware is it is centralized. There is one approach. Uh, because we have so many products, what we've found as, as we are remediating products, we're getting into a situation where you transition from one VMware product to another VMware product, and maybe things don't work exactly the same way, like they're both accessible, but they're accessible in different ways. So let me give you an example. W3C is not particularly prescriptive in the WCAG guidelines. So if you've got a slide carousel um, that moves around, W3C doesn't say you have to have a button. It doesn't, it says you have to have a mechanism. And maybe one, comp one business unit wants to do it with green buttons in the lower left corner, and another business unit wants to do it with a toggle in the upper right. Okay, well, yeah, both are compliant, but that's not the best user experience because the user doesn't care when they transition from one product to the next product, they just want it to work. So we realized that um, and we, when we got to a certain level in our accessibility maturity, we said, okay, wait, uh, we want to create an accessibility style guide uh, so that all the product teams are drawing from the same uh, design patterns and the same resources so that they're all implementing magnification in the same manner and you know slide carousels in the same manner and motion and haptics and all that so that's something we're actually putting quite a bit of effort into right now and uh then for the individual practitioners let's say a product manager or an interaction designer or a, a developer uh, you know how you know, how are they able to acquire the skills or, or know what part they play in that overall accessibility plan that you mentioned that, that might be set by a, the central uh, centralized authority? So many opportunities. So uh, we have training programs that the employee resource group has deployed on our centralized training platform. Uh, we have a deep dive on accessibility that's role-based. So we have a program manager course, a content manager course, a developer course, a QA course, so that everybody only has to learn what they need to know in order to do their particular job. We have webinars, we have a champions program, we have Slack channels, we have office hours, we, we have every communications, uh, we have accessibility week, uh, the first week in every, uh, every February, which is the beginning of VMware's fiscal year. Um, where we do an accessibility summit and we talk to customers and we do accessibility research and we've got an accessibility hackathon scheduled for this November uh, coming up because WCAG 2.2 should be coming out this fall and we want to get a head start on that. So we're all going to do the WCAG 2.2 updates together uh, so that we can kind of crowdsource the opportunities and make sure it's done consistently across the product. Well, there apparently must definitely be, a, you know, a, a support from the, the uh, top levels of the organization, because obviously there's a significant commitment of of resources for people, you know, to set set up those activities and then give people the time 
to be able to embrace them and, and get involved and do that training? Yeah, we, we have had a little bit of turnover uh, in our upper levels. Uh, originally, our big product champion was Rajiv Ramaswamy, and he unfortunately left to go uh, to a competitor in February. Uh, but his role was taken over by uh, Raghu. Uh, and then when uh, Pat left, uh, Raghu uh, became our CEO. Uh, so we definitely have an accessibility champion uh, with respect to our CEO. Um, I get a lot of support uh, from HR. We're working on new reasonable accommodations processes, for example. Um, and obviously, the DEI team is, is a big part of what the accessibility resource group is, is able to accomplish as well. Well, uh, you know, just talking a little bit more about the things you're doing right now, um, and you're always, you're always visible in in the various communities, uh, you know, writing writing things to, to share about your ideas about accessibility, and and you've also been working on a on a new book. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I was named the UX Collective Medium Author of the Year last year, and early this year, the UX Collective came to me and said, "We want to publish a book on global accessibility awareness day." So will you write it with us? Well, I love writing, uh, and I like to think that that's one of the, my takeaways from law school is I'm, I'm actually a decent, but probably more importantly, a fast writer. It only usually takes me an hour to 90 minutes for one of my blog articles, um, and I hate logistics. I'm terrible at, you know, and I can't draw a straight line with ruler, so graphics are not my thing. And they had font designers and graphic designers, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to make this into an audiobook. Uh, and they had all that stuff locked down. So it was just absolutely a fabulous partnership. Uh, and so uh, that came out on Global Accessibility Awareness Day. And uh, the full book is almost finished. And I'm talking to a couple of different publishers right now. Uh, but we had 27,000 uh, downloads uh, in the first like 10 days that the book was out. It's just been uh, crazy popular beyond my wildest, wildest dreams. I, you know, when I was writing it, I'm like, is anybody but my dad going to read this? And it turns out, yeah, a lot of people besides my dad are going to read it. Were there any parts of it that, uh, I mean, obviously you, you know, you, you uh, made the whole thing happen, but were there any parts that you are particularly uh, passionate about uh, as you uh, put it together? You know, I think my thing right now is giving people who are just getting started the tools that they can turn back and take to their organizations who are maybe recalcitrant or don't even know what accessibility is or kind of locked into some of the myths around accessibility and, and giving them the knowledge that they need that does not come from accessibility boot camps on how to change the mindset. I'm all about changing hearts and minds. You know, if you want to read a book on on how to implement ARIA, you know, there's there's plenty of material out there already on that. Um, I, I try to stick to the more abstract stuff. And, uh, you know, I tell people if I have to answer a question twice, I usually start an article on it because I figure, okay, if I write an article on it, then I can just point people to the article uh, in the future. Well, I, I haven't had a chance to uh, get into that into the book yet, but I'm looking forward to uh, 
to reading it. And uh, I want to thank you for just taking this time to uh, chat with me and and uh, let people know a little bit about your story and uh, you know you know what what your uh, what accessibility is all about from the perspective of uh, Sherry Bernhaver. Well, thank you very much, Joe. And I just want to remind your audience that if you are interested in accessibility, there are all kinds of volunteer opportunities. So I work on, with the W3C um, on the silver, which is the WCAG 3.0, which will be coming kind of towards the end of 2023 or maybe the beginning of 2024. Uh, there's always volunteer opportunities there. Uh, there's volunteer opportunities with uh, IAAP, with Lighthouse for the Blind, with Center for Independent Living. Um, I recently worked on the Palo Alto Junior Museum and Zoo rebuild. So the uh, place that I couldn't visit when I was a kid is now going to be fully accessible, and I'm really <laughs> excited to try that out in a couple of weekends. And, uh, you know, just, just look for places that you can help because accessibility does not require a college degree. All it requires is some knowledge uh, and a whole lot of caring. Well, uh, a lot of what we do are little steps, iterative pieces, and, and hopefully uh, you know, we just keep moving forward. Well, that's, what I, that's how I ended the book, It's just keep moving that accessibility needle forward. Backwards is not an acceptable direction. Well, thanks again, Sherry, and I uh, look forward to seeing you uh, hopefully at a, a physical event sometime soon. That would be fabulous. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design. We can move existing designs to development in a sprint, and maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X.com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.